that, Lord, we thank you for the awesome power of your word. Lord, we love the, the presence of the Lord. We love the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We love the gifts. And y'all agree with me, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And we pray over the word tonight. Lord, we ask you to anoint and speak through me everything that needs to be spoken, Lord. Everything will go out. And it will be as living seeds of truth sown into good soil. Let your Holy Spirit even now just move upon every one of us and help us to be good soil. That this seed can land into our lives and take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. Let the seed of the word be watered by the Holy Spirit. Let your precious Holy Spirit, the winds of the Spirit, blow this out to the nations. It's going to go where it needs to go. And Lord, we pray that we know the enemy tries to steal the seed. So we take authority and we bind up anything of the devil right now in Jesus' name that we try to hinder the word of the Lord from getting where it's supposed to be, accomplishing what it's supposed to do. We bind it in Jesus' name. We command you to back off and go right now. And Lord, let your angels just clear away any hindrance and let everything be accomplished in and through the sermon and every life that your will for it to take place. And we stand on the promise, your word will not return void, but it go forth and accomplish that which you sent it for to do. So, Lord, we thank you for the awesome power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, well, I'm going to share tonight about the Feast of Tabernacles, and I believe it is significant for us today. So, this is Exodus 25, verse 8. I'm going to kind of move pretty quickly, but you've got notes, so just follow me. I feel like this will really be a blessing to you, if um, some of this revelation. But the Bible says in Exodus 25, verse 8, this is probably one of my favorite scriptures. A couple of my favorite scriptures would be in this sermon tonight. But it says, God spoke to Moses and said, then have them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. Now think about that for a moment because God's in heaven. Why does God even care to dwell among us in the first place? You know, But God's heart, he said, have them make something where I can come and tabernacle. And we know from other scriptures that Moses didn't just come up with something uh, random, but the Bible says that the tabernacle that's in heaven, there is a throne of God like the ark. There is some kind of a dwelling up on some kind of a, a mountain like a hill, the hill of the Lord. There's something in heaven that's a tabernacle. It has an outer court, a holy place, and then the Holy of Holies is where God's throne is. And the Bible is very clear about this, that, that God gave Moses what was in heaven, gave him the blueprints to replicate it on the earth. And it's so awesome that God's heart was, have them uh, build me something so that I can come down and dwell in the midst of them. And I love God's tabernacling presence. So the dwelling, see, there's a lot of times that, that we might have a place will have a good service. And that good service is awesome, but the presence of God will come and go. But there's something different whenever you have a continual tabernacling presence of the Lord in a place where God is residing there and it's continual. That's what was taking place in the tabernacle. And by God's grace and mercy, that's been very similar to here in River of Life, but I'm believing God to deepen his presence in the days to come. And I thank God for his glory here. All right, so let me give you some things about the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, Leviticus 23, we know this because you can do the math. I'm gonna move quickly and not rabbit trail too much, but you can do the math of when the John the Baptist was conceived versus when his cousin Jesus was conceived and you can kind of figure nine months that Jesus was most likely born during the Feast of Tabernacles. Of course, we celebrate it in December and that's, you know, doesn't make any difference about that. But it's interesting that Jesus was most likely born at Tabernacles. And the Bible says about Tabernacles, uh, well, rather in John, it said that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. But the word in Greek for dwelled is tabernacled. Isn't that something? So it says the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. So Jesus was probably born on tabernacles. And I wonder if it's in the realm of possibility that by the time you get from the translations that all took place to our translation today, if manger wasn't something that was put there, but really it might have been a sukkah that Jesus was born in. Just going to put that out there. 
but those would have been everywhere. And that's, it's interesting because that's why Mary and Joseph couldn't find any place to lodge because everybody was required to come at the Feast of Tabernacles to Jerusalem. So every, every inn was packed, you know. Um, also, there would have been um, the lulav. That would have been everywhere. The, the sukkah, those booths, that's why we have this set up so you can have an illustration. There would have been a sukkah all over um, Israel. I mean, it would have been everywhere. And... The sukkah is supposed to be a temporary flimsy shelter. It's a booth. And the fact that it's a temporary thing and it's flimsy, it speaks of our dependence on God. And also remember, Jesus had no place to lay his head. He was always moving. And what's, what's interesting is this. Let me just give you something about uh, the life of Abraham. So Abraham, his father was probably well off. And Abraham dwelled in Ur of the Chaldees with his family and when God spoke to Abraham and said, I want you to uproot and leave all your father's inheritance, everything that you would have. I mean, think about it for a moment. They probably had generational wealth there. They had a lot. And Abraham would have inherited all this. And he had basically would have had, had it made. But God spoke to him and said, Abraham, I want you to uproot and I want you to follow me and go to a place I'll show you and I'll make you a blessing to the nations. And so Abraham... Of course, I know his name was Abram later to Abraham. I understand it. But he, he packed everything up by faith and went to the land of Canaan. And he, listen to what I'm saying. He was a sojourner there. He, he lived in tents among people that were foreigners to him. And he was just passing through that land. He was passing through that land as like an alien in a foreign land. He was a sojourner. And what does the Bible say about all of us? It says that basically we're just passing through this world. This is not our eternal home. We're just like aliens in a foreign land, so to speak. And so Jesus also, he had no place to lay his head. But Abraham, he lived in tents. He lived in, he lived in temporary dwellings like little, um, the plural is Sukkot. They lived in these little booths, so to speak, tents. And they, they would pack up and move to a different place and they would pitch their tent. And think about how in the natural it would have been so dangerous to be a foreigner in a foreign land like that living in tents. I mean, you didn't have brick and mortar. I mean, they had to depend on God to take care of them, not only to supply their needs, but protect them from danger. And so there's a lot to this I'm going to get into. And one of the things I have felt a long time ago, God laid on my heart to begin to really understand and tap into the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. And there was a lot of depth to it. And a couple things that stuck out to me right off was there was a lot to it. And one of the things I really love about the Hebrew roots is that as we set up a booth over here, a sukkah, as we set that up and people can see it, they can look at it, they can feel it, they can experience it, and also the lulav, which I'll bring up here in a moment when I read about it. But when people can see it and experience it, they'll never forget it. And not only that, it brings the Bible to life. It's so many things, which I'll show you here in a moment. So Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles, we read in John 7, 37, now on the last day, now there's seven days of Sukkot, Tabernacles. And so on the last day, it's um, the greatest day, Jesus stood and cried aloud saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And you have to understand what was going on on this last day, which is really interesting. So at the last part of the feast, the priest, the sons of Aaron, would go out and they would gather in water and buckets and they would be pouring it out in the temple courts because they were asking God to send rain, which was a big deal. So Israel had to have the former latter rain. So what, what happened was around this time frame, Israel you know, would have to plant the crop, but the former rains would have to come. And then after the long winter, the latter rains had to come and so the harvest could come forth. And so the, the priests were bringing the water libation before the Lord and they were asking him to send abundant rain that we can have a, a, a great blessing on our crops. And so while this, this water is being poured out in the temple, Jesus stands up and yells in a loud voice for everybody to hear him. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. 
He's getting the attention off of what's going on and on to him. He says, he who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. How many want the Holy Spirit flowing through you like rivers? (laughs) But this he spoke of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, but because Jesus was not yet glorified. But he stood up at that temple in that area there in Jerusalem while they're doing this, and he's saying, I am the fulfillment of all this, basically. He's trying to get people's attention to understand I'm the Messiah. He's trying to get people to look to him. So, um, Brianna, can you hand me that real quick, the lulav? And so also, in Leviticus 23, 40, this would have been all over Israel. On the first day, the Bible says to bring, that's okay, that's all I need. On the first day, you shall make, take for yourselves foliage from the beautiful trees, palm branches, which is this, the palm branch, boughs of the leafy trees, which is the myrtle, and uh, willows from the brook and then also um this is the etrog this was also mentioned in there so there's f- the four species here that's brought together and from what i've studied this out from what i understand the the palm branch is very it's very firm and, and it stands upright and it's it's a lot of times people say it's like the spine it's it's something that it keeps all this straight and upright but to me it speaks about righteousness and let me show you what i mean the willow in the bible always speaks of sorrow do you remember how whenever israel was in babylonian captivity they said you know they hung their harps on the willows and longed to be free and all that but the willow tree speaks of sorrow the myrtle would speak of the joy but regardless of what you're going through the good or the bad we need to be living righteous and upright before the lord amen but also the etrog is believed to represent the heart that God's wanting all of our heart. So in Israel, every year around this time, people literally, I mean, a sea of people having their lulav and they're just waving it, they're dancing, they're shouting, they're rejoicing. And the reason why this is so awesome and in praise and worship here, sometimes people grab this, just worship the Lord because it speaks of Jesus' coming. So with this in mind, you gotta understand that this goes on every year and has been going on since the days of Moses. So when Jesus comes in, this is what's interesting to me. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the people have always had this lulav, and they've always done this as a celebration, just dancing and singing and, you know, waving this before the Lord. Isn't it interesting that Jesus rides in on a donkey? And what are people doing? They're quickly running and grabbing the palm branch, the lulav, which to this day, this is called a lulav, the emphasis on the palm branch. And they're laying it down for Jesus to come in. So as we're doing this, which I'll get into this, there's a prophetic element about the coming of the Lord. And this is something that, this is something that pleases the Lord in the scriptures. He told Israel to take these and worship before him, celebrate before him. And what's interesting to me about it is this. When God told Israel, you're going into this land, he was bringing them out of a desert. He said, you're going into a land flowing with milk and honey. And there's seven species to this day that the Bible mentions and people talk about. It's on a lot of um, uh, Jewish paraphernalia, the seven species. But um, this represents the blessing in the land and people rejoicing and thanking God for the land. How many of you guys know that God has delivered us out of the hand of the enemy He's brought us into his kingdom and our salvation in Christ is truly a land flowing with milk and honey. And so this is, this is like from the land, thanking God for our salvation, rejoicing before the Lord. Thank you. All right. So that's the lulav. And so you're going to see the lulav, you're going to see booths and all this during the, the feast of Sukkot. But a couple of things I wanted to bring out about this. Number one is that we're just passing through this life as I mentioned earlier. Too many people get too bogged down in this life. And I hope everybody really hears me tonight. Everybody hears this sermon. And those that are listening to this by Facebook, however you're hearing this through a podcast, do not get too caught up in this present life. We're just passing through. If you're... If you've got your mindset that everything about 
your life is so focused on the here and the now, it's just temporary. We need to always have a mindset that we're just passing through this life and we need to be living for eternity. And I love this scripture. This is one of my favorite scriptures as well in, this, in the word of God in Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed by going to a place which he received for an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going. Has anybody ever really thought about this and really thought about what Abraham was doing? How would you feel if God told you tomorrow just to leave and just go where I will show you? I mean, he just went in faith that God would take care of him. It's, it's really amazing if you really think about it. He didn't know where he was going. Verse 9, by faith he lived as an alien in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking, I love this scripture, he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Isn't that awesome scripture? You know, Jesus said about Abraham, think about this for a moment. Jesus said about Abraham, he saw my day. Somehow Abraham saw the day that Christ would come. I wonder if it wasn't when Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac and God had him do that as a foreshadowing, a prophetic foreshadowing of the coming of the Lord. But Abraham saw Jesus' day. But Abraham, this, this is the first revelation I really wanted to bring home about tabernacles. We are just passing through this life. I can't help but every time I think about this, I hear Steve Hill in my head. <laughs> Keep your head up and your feet moving. Do not sink too deep down into the soil of this earth. God is coming for a pilgrim people. He said, loose yourself from the things that have you bound. Matthew 6, 19, Jesus said, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up treasures for yourself in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart is also. Abraham, I don't know how, but I understand this aspect of it. There is a faith and there is a realm of revelation. Somehow Abraham had revelation that Jesus said that Abraham saw his day. But also the book of Hebrews says that Abraham was looking for a city whose maker and builder is God. What city is that? That's the city you read about in Revelation 21-22, the New Jerusalem, which the Bible says the builder is God, and it's going to come down on the earth. Somehow Abraham had revelation that he was just passing through this life. Abraham somehow had revelation that he was walking through holy ground, so to speak, that one day in that region where the, uh, the soles of his feet was treading would come a heavenly city on the earth. Have y'all thought about this? He knew he was just passing through, but he knew that in that land that there was going to be a heavenly Jerusalem one day. Another thing that sticks out to me in the revelation of the tabernacles. So number one is we're just passing through. But number two, and let me back up on that just passing through. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived that way. They lived in tents. The Canaanites lived in stone houses. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their family would not become Canaanite so to speak they never um, amalgamated into those cultures and started dressing and acting and talking and marrying into the Canaanites they never did that even though they were in Canaan they were not of Canaan but they lived in those tents and they realized their life was just passing through but it had a purpose number two Goshen now when Israel lived inside of Egypt, they lived in the land of Goshen. And God protected Israel, even though the plagues came on Egypt, God protected them in Goshen. So the glory of God can be a supernatural protection. 
How in the world did Israel travel through uh, the desert for 40 years? And the Bible says their clothes didn't wear out. They were protected from their enemies. It was the glory of God, literally the glory that was in the midst of Israel. He said, build me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. Israel had that cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. How awesome would that have been? See, I want tonight, I want us to try to use our imagination for a moment and think about it. Think about living in the days with Moses that we each had our own respective tents as families and we could see, we would stand at the door of our tent and look out and you could see the tabernacle in the distance and at night there was literally a pillar of fire glowing in the sky. And during the day it was a cloud and it would lift up and begin to move and Moses would yell out and then they would begin to blast the, the various trumpets and all that and they would pack up and they would follow the glory. I believe God wants us following the glory. I mean, the thing is that if we would have the glory in our midst in church today, a lot of the problems would be a lot less than what they are. The glory of God in the midst of Israel caused them to prosper even in a desert. Cause, think about the supernatural. In the glory of God, Israel supernaturally have food and water. The Bible says their clothes supernaturally didn't wear out. And they were protected from enemies round about that hated them. So the glory of God, the tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, speaks of God's glory tabernacling among us. And let me read you a few scriptures. The Bible says, I love this scripture by David in Psalm 27 verse 5. I understand David grew up in the Hebrew culture and Sukkot would have been celebrated every year in the fall. And so David would have seen all these booths. And I wonder how much all of that played into David's mindset because even though the tabernacle dwelled, uh, the last place was I think in Nob, but David went and got the ark, and what did he do in Jerusalem? He pitched a tent for it. He created like a, a sukkah of sorts to put around the ark. But look at what David said here. For he will hide me, and that means to cover me, in his sukkah. And that literally says, in his sukkah in the Hebrew. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me in the secret place of his tent. On the rock, he will raise me up. Isn't that awesome? So David understood the sukkah speaks not obviously of a flimsy structure, but it speaks of God's tabernacle and glory over his people to protect us. So keep that in mind for a moment. He will hide me in his sukkah. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me in the secret place of his tent. In Isaiah 4, 4, I love this scripture as well. This was a big scripture in um, the Brownsville revival. I remember this was preached a lot. Isaiah 4, 4, When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the bloodshed of Jerusalem from her midst by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning, how many knows that God's got a clean house in all of us? Then it says, then the Lord will create over the whole area of Mount Zion, over all of her assemblies, what a cloud by day, even smoke, and the brightness of a flaming fire by night. Over all the glory will be a canopy. And that can translate in the Hebrew like a defense or a protection. There'll be a shelter to give shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and protection from the storm and the rain. In these last days that we're living, we're living in a time where we're seeing all these various um, prophecies being fulfilled. I, don't, I certainly don't have time to get into it, but just trust me because I've really, I love the, the study of the end time prophecies. So I've really done an in-depth study. But all of the signs of the times point to that we're in the last days and the coming of the Lord is near. All of them do. In these last days that we're living, Satan is wanting to really amp up warfare. Satan knows his time is short. The book of Revelation makes that clear 
that the devil is going to start realizing his time is short and he's going to really begin to amp up warfare. We're living in a time when that's going on and we need the glory of God being our defense. Now, a lot of people have, in, in the overall body of Christ don't put an emphasis on the glory. I'm not sure that a lot of places really know what the glory is. I'm talking about the abiding presence of the Lord. That there's literally in the spirit realm, you, you can't see it with your natural eye, but there's like a dome of God's glory. And it forms a shelter for God's people. Your home can be a place where the glory dwells and it will form like a dome of protection. If you really consecrate your home and really pray over it and bless it and ask the Lord to send his glory, your, the glory of God can be a defense. But you'll have to keep the sin out and God will help you with it. God will, um, you know, if it need be, God will stir up things to help take care of problems, okay? But God will help you with that, but he's wanting to keep the glory tabernacled there to protect you. And I believe that's one of the reasons why you know, my wife um, used to go through a lot of, of spiritual warfare at various times because of her background. But I believe the glory that's been so strong on us in our home, in our bedroom, especially at night, but it also in our prayer time, there's an abiding glory there that that is stopped. And she's, had, she's been able to sleep peacefully and be fine. But there used to be a lot of spiritual attack, but the glory can be a defense over your dwelling, over your night's rest. Remember that Samuel slept by the ark. I love that scripture. And so Samuel wanted to sleep in the glory of the Lord. And also something interesting about the glory, you know, we talk about the armor of God, the helmet, the breastplate, all that. But here's another interesting aspect about the armor. Romans chapter 13 says there's also an armor of light. The light is the glory. And that armor of light is like a glory of God settling over his people. And so I can't, uh, I don't have a picture there, but those that are in here, you can kind of look behind you and see Aaron's um, garments. But the white garments, the white layers have to do with righteousness. The blue layer has to do with the power, the baptism and the Holy Ghost, the clothing of power. And the bells and pomegranates talk about the gifts and the, the fruit of the Spirit. The bells chiming has to do with tongues. And, but that golden ephod, that gold that was over Aaron, it has to do with the glory of God being over you. Jesus talked about a baptism in the Holy Ghost and with fire. Is this making sense? The fire, the glory fire, the, f the same fire that was over the tabernacle, the same fire that formed tongues over Pentecost, over the people there, that same fire is, is the glory fire. And God wants to baptize us in that glory fire, not just power, not just to be clothed in power, but there's like a glory fire to settle over us like an armor to protect us. And so the glory, the Feast of Tabernacles has a lot to do with the glory of the God tabernacling in our midst. And my whole goal in River of Life is to keep the glory of God tabernacled in our midst. That's one of the main themes in River of Life. Whatever needs to happen, whoever needs to come, whoever needs to go, whatever needs to change, it's centered around a tabernacling of God's presence. Another couple things, um, if you've been here in the last couple sermons, I talked about the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Teruah, and how that spoke of the, the rapture, the catching away. And then um, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, speaks of the tribulation time. Well, tabernacle speaks of Christ coming to the earth to reign for a thousand years. So it's like Christ returning again to sit on the throne of his father David, and he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron, but he's going to once again tabernacle on the earth. And so the Feast of Tabernacles prophetically speaks of that. 
In Revelation 20, it talks about the millennial reign of Christ. There's a final harvest. I, I talked about the harvest cycles. I can't get back into that. During Christ's reign, how the sheep and goat nations are separated. His people are going to reign over regions and cities, etc., those that are really right with him. But the feasts are obviously going to be kept. This is really interesting. Read Zechariah chapter 14. When Jesus is reigning on the earth, tabernacling 4,000 years, the Bible says that during that 1,000 years that the nations are going to come to Jerusalem and they're going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. So picture the nations coming to Israel, waving the lulav. You've got various booths all over the place. And people are coming to celebrate before the Lord. I personally don't believe it's limited to just tabernacles. But Zechariah brings out the Feast of Tabernacles. Why did he bring that feast out among the others being so clearly celebrated? Because it's fulfilled when Christ is there, you see. I believe all the feasts will still be kept. The Sabbath and the new moon will still be recognized out of Israel, no doubt. And the Sabbath was before there was a law. The Sabbath goes back to creation. Satan will be bound during the thousand-year reign of Christ. Isn't that awesome? And God's gonna, Jesus is going to restore back the earth to be kind of like it was in the Garden of Eden. People will live extremely long, and it's going to be an amazing time. The Bible actually describes the thousand-year reign of Christ like, kind of like the Garden of Eden, that children will be able to handle deadly snakes because they won't be venomous and they won't be aggressive it says that the lion will uh, eat straw so the lion and these different predators are not even going to be eating meat anymore and so um, the lamb will be able to lay down it actually says in the bible the lamb will lay down i believe with the wolf but everybody says the lion and the lamb whatever but there's going to be peace there's no, it's going to be like the garden of eden the curse is going to lift off when christ returns and then we know at the end of the millennial reign, Satan will be loose temporarily to sift the nations. But in the end of that, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. That's what Abraham saw. He saw the new Jerusalem coming down. So after the thousand-year reign of Christ, see right now, the Holy Spirit is getting things ready for the return of Jesus Christ. But when Jesus is here for a thousand years, he's getting things ready for the, for the Father to come. And so at the end of the thousand years, this is going to be amazing. But Satan is temporarily going to be loosed on the earth because there's a lot of people going to be born during that thousand year period. America's only, what, 240, 43 years old, okay? Thousand years is a long time. There's going to be a lot of people born, a lot of people that never really was tested. And so the Lord's going to let the devil run around loose for a little bit. And unfortunately, a lot of people are going to rebel against the Lord. It's going to be a final sift. But after that final sift, all those that belong in hell, all Satan, uh, his forces, demons, fallen angels, all the evil people, everybody's going to be down in this lake of fire gone. But listen to what's going to happen. At the end of the thousand-year reign, the earth would have been, during Jesus' time, a Garden of Eden. But Peter says the earth is going to be changed. The elements are going to be changed. See, right now, we don't have a glorified body, so we depend on a lot of things. But at this time, at the end of the thousand-year reign, we're going to have glorified bodies like angels, glorified bodies. And the Bible says, listen, the Bible says that there's going to be a spiritual fire that is going to purge the atmosphere. It's going to purge the earth. It's going to purge the heavens. And so what we know right now is going to be kind of consumed and burned away, and there's going to be a heavenly atmosphere come in literally the atmosphere of heaven is going to be in the earth and in that the new jerusalem which is this huge city that's 1500 miles square is going to come down and settle on the earth have you thought about that the father is going to come down in this new city on the earth and the dwelling of god will be with man and man with god forever isn't that amazing? So eventually it's all going to get to a place to where, think about what I'm saying. God chooses Abraham and makes him a prophetic picture and type 
of a people that would belong to him that are foreigners in this world. How many of you guys that really know the Lord and really love the Lord, you feel out of place in this world? You know what I'm saying? We're, we're just passing through. Abraham was a picture and type of that. And then through Abraham, God brings this nation together that he could use to bring to the earth this revelation. God said, I want you to build a dwelling place for me to be among my people. God's heart was always this. And so in the very end of all things, the father is going to literally come down and tabernacle on the earth forever in the new Jerusalem. Isn't that something? So the third revelation that the first one is, is we're just passing through. Do not get too caught up with this world system. Don't get too entangled. Don't get too busy with the things of the world. Keep your mind on eternity. Is my life right now that I'm living going to matter in eternity? Are the things I'm doing, am I being a witness? Am I being a prayer warrior? Am I being active for the kingdom? Am I, am I bearing fruit? Or is my life going to matter, you know, 200 years from now? We need to live with eternity in mind. So that's the first thing about tabernacles. We're just passing through. The second thing is great protection. The glory of God, God wants his glory to come on us like an armor of light. He wants his glory to settle over our homes, over our churches. He wants his glory to be so thick that it will protect us and it'll be a source of like healing in the glory. And I'm believing God to increase that. You know, we've had that already to some degree, but I, there's a lot more coming, guys. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But the third thing is, is that God is also working things to a place where tabernacles speaks of the fact that Jesus is coming to tabernacle for a thousand years, but ultimately the Father will even come to tabernacle. And it's all going to be finished at that time. All the sifting will be over. All the testing will be done. Everything we've had to endure. We're going to all have glorified bodies that don't ever age. And we're just going to be with the Lord. I mean, it's going to be amazing. All right. One last thing, and I want to give you some prophetic insight and close this out. The Hebrew mindset uh, again, I opened this sermon with this, but I, I want y'all to hear me. Just like a few weeks back, we, we were blasting the shofar. Remember that? And we had the, the little, you know, toy ones for the kids. They'll never forget that. They, you know, they're holding it, blasting a shofar. But see, that causes the Bible to come alive because you think about the walls of Jericho. What were they doing? The shofar was being blasted. They were shouting. You see, and there's a lot of other stories. My point is, is that when people can, can, just like, for example, the sukkah, the lulab, when people can experience it and feel it and touch it and be around it and sit in the sukkah and, it, and, and you talk about, it brings things to life. And it also, by putting up like a sukkah in your home and things like that and having a Passover meal in your home, it brings all of that into your home and teaches your children the Bible. Is let me just give you a couple examples of how this helps you understand the Bible. Once I started seeing the Hebrew roots, I really began to understand a lot of things in the Bible that I didn't before. Just like, for example, that's why people were running to get palm branches when Jesus was being revealed as the Messiah. It was the lulav. It was something that was associated with the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Messiah. Is this making sense? And so they were, what happened? Jesus is being revealed as the Messiah. He's coming in. And they, what's the first thing they do? They run and get a bunch of lulav. And they start throwing it before the Lord. The second thing, here's something interesting. If you guys ever wondered about this, you'll now understand. So in, in Matthew 17, verse 1, six days later, Jesus put, took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. How many have read about the transfiguration? How many of you would have liked to have been there? I would have liked to have seen Jesus glow with that bright white light. That would have been awesome, right? Well, as Jesus is being transformed and you know, transfigured in front of them, 
His face shone like the sun. His garments became like white as light. And look at this. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them and talked to them. You know as well as I do, Peter was scared half to death, man. <laughs> but listen to what Peter says. He says, Lord, it would be good for us. I mean, it's good for us that we're here. He didn't even know what he was saying, you know. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles, three Sukkot, three booths, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. <laughs> While he was still speaking, a bright, cl bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice said, This is my beloved Son in whom I will please listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their face to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up, don't be afraid. Lift up their eyes. They saw no one but Jesus. All right, now stop for a minute and think about this, this scripture. You understand that Peter was offering to build a sukkah right okay isn't it interesting that peter was talking about a sukkah he was talking about tabernacles when jesus when the glory of the almighty was being manifest the glory you see what i'm saying the glory tabernacling so see these scriptures come to life and they make so much more sense now peter was probably just nervous and was just saying something out of being nervous because I mean, you know, <laughs> I'll run real fast and build three sukkah. I'll, I'll do it, you know. <laughs> he was just scared. But uh, anyway, I wanted to share something prophetically and close. This is for River of Life. I don't believe this is for everybody. Um, this is not like I'm not. I know that our ministry goes out to the Internet. I want to make this abundantly clear that this is for River of Life in-house, what I'm about to share. I don't, I'm not getting this about the region, the nation, or anything like that. But River of Life has been, this is what I feel prophetically. I've been with the Lord, and you guys know me. I wouldn't share it unless I, I knew it was God. But I've been with the Lord, and what the Lord is saying to me is this. Is that River of Life has been really praying and fasting. And coming together in prayer and fasting about some things. And because of that, <clears throat> God is faithful and he is about to bring a breakthrough and it's very near the breakthrough <clears throat> is going to be like a judicial decree so at the at jubilee when jubilee took place everything that had been lost through hardships was restored back to the original owner you follow me but at the same time, things that were obtained that didn't really belong, they were removed. Are you following me? Because this is the same judicial decree. So if you had things in your life that really didn't, weren't supposed to be there, that really weren't yours and shouldn't, that would be lost. It would go back to the original owner. But everything that you had lost that's rightfully yours, that was returned. And that's what I felt the Lord was saying to me very clearly. And I have a couple other things I wrote in here. But I felt the Lord say to me, it's like a judicial decree. And it's going to be like a jubilee. And people that have not surrendered certain things to the Lord, like they have things in their life that really shouldn't be there, things they haven't surrendered, things they haven't dealt with or whatever, I, I really felt that God was going to help to take that out. And some of it may be uncomfortable because they haven't surrendered it how many knows whenever you you don't really surrender everything and god's got to take it away it can be uncomfortable okay i felt that that was coming actually but at the same time people that had lost things and had things stolen by the devil it's coming to be restored there's going to be a judicial decree and what i felt was this and this was confirmed to me when I was in Pensacola at the conference, the Lord has spoken to me this for years. I've been just waiting. But the Lord spoke to me um, back in 2003 through Steve Hill that God had a, a harvest that he was going to give to us. And so he prophesied that. He prayed over me. And if anybody was going to prophesy a harvest and then pray over you for impartation, Steve Hill would be one of the people that kind of stand out. Um, but I believe that it was set in motion at that time. It was a prophetic word 
the anointing came, it was set in motion. And God has been saying this to me for years, the scripture where they had been fishing all night and caught nothing. But then when the Lord showed up, the Lord said, look, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And I mean, to these fishermen who are professionals, it seems so foolish. They're like, we've been fishing all night. We actually know how to fish. We've been doing this our whole lives. Our parents have been doing this. You know, we know how to fish. And you're just saying, hey, just cast a net on the other side of the boat. It's like, I, I don't know if that's going to work, Jesus. But they said, but you said it, so we're going to do it. And so they throw the nets in and they could barely get the harvest in the boat. They actually had to call for help because there was so much fish, it was breaking the nets. And it was, it was you know, they couldn't physically have the strength without help to get that harvest in. And when I, this was confirmed to me, a couple things really strongly were confirmed to me at this conference. And when I went there, Claudio preached, and he talked about a couple things. And Claudio said a couple things that really ministered to me, but one of them was when, do you remember when the man of the Gadarenes was, all those legions of demons left him? And, and you would think everybody would be happy. I mean, Jesus came. That alone is enough. But then you have this great miracle, but the people didn't want Jesus. The people of the Gadarenes came together and, and approached Jesus and said, please leave. We don't want you here. And that's the way some people are. And I, I, felt, I felt around here just, you know, I'm just really hungry for revival and I'm wondering where that hunger went. And so he was speaking that and it just really, really ministered to me. But he said, he said this, he said, remember the story. And I knew Claudio's testimony of how he was in a very small place. He didn't have hardly any type of a ministry until revival broke out and the Holy Spirit came upon him real powerfully and they just exploded. But Claudio was saying, when Jesus shows up and says, cast the net on the other side, you go from having nothing to abundance. And then he came down I'd went down just to be down there. He comes down and prays over me, and I'm thrown. I don't know how far back I landed, but it was an awesome, I just, it was God, God confirming that word. But I felt the Lord say to me these three things. Number one, we've been fishing for a long time, but the Lord's about to show up, and there's going to be a supernatural harvest. It's not going to be natural. And it's not going to be human effort. It's just simply going to be God speaking his word and the harvest is going to come. It's going to be a decree from the Lord. The second thing that came to me was, the, um, I believe it's in Micah, about the breaker will go before you. And the Lord said that he's about to go in front of us and he's going to break it open. It's a revival. So it's like it's been so stubborn you feel like you're pushing up against a brick wall. Until Jesus goes through and walks through the brick wall and there's no more brick wall. So the breaker goes before you. And I felt the Lord saying to me, number one, a supernatural harvest. Number two, there's about to be a breaking open of a revival. It's like the Lord goes in front and he parts it open. The, the great resistance is cleared out for the river to come. And then the third thing the Lord said to me was the ancient of days took his seat and declared judgment on behalf of the righteous. I feel that there's going to be a jubilee, a restoration, and it's a judgment. It's a judgment against the devil's kingdom for what he's been doing. And it's, it's a vindication for the righteous. And it's going to be, and I keep hearing the Lord say it's judicial. It's like, when the Lord takes his seat, uh, Luke 18, the persistent widow kept coming. And finally, the judge said, just give her what she's asking. And I feel like the Lord's doing that. He's going to extend a scepter and say, you've been petitioning me. It's done. It's like, it's like something set in motion. It's a judici judicial decree that's going to clear away what's been coming against us. So anyway, those are the three things the Lord prophetically spoke to me are coming. And I wanted to end with that. That's for River of Life. I do not prophesy that for any other church. 
or any other person. People are listening to this saying, well, that's for me. Well, maybe. And this is what God told me for River of Life. I just want to make that real clear. And um, I'm just telling you, y'all know me. I've been with God. It's coming. And you need to be ready for it. And there's going to be some things that God is going to pry out of some people's lives that they want to go. And things that maybe people try to hold on to and aren't right, he's still going to pry some things out. But he's going to deal with things. He's going to come in a way that is going to be like a jubilee. Isn't that awesome? And what Brother Holt told me, he said, I see the glory of the Lord getting so thick in your church that it's going to produce health. He's never been wrong. Every time he's given me a word, it's 100% every time. He said, the glory of God's coming in that was just going to produce health. And I, I believe it's going to be connected to the communion table. I really do. But there's a glory coming in that people just being in the glory are going to continually get more and more healthy. And sometimes it can be instant. Sometimes it's progressive. I remember when I was at the Brownsville Revival and then I want to pray for, pray for people, but I just want to give you this testimony. I would go there as often as I could. It totally transformed my life. It was honestly heaven invading earth. It really was. And um, I saw a lot of things there, experienced a lot of things. The glory would come in so thick. But I remember one time when I was in the altar, there was a man, and he was getting, they had these altar workers that were from the church. And, you know, the various leaders couldn't get to everybody because there was thousands of people every night to pray for so they had these altar workers. Anyway, I was getting prayer. These altar workers were there, but this guy was standing beside me, and it, he had a, a neck that was a, a little bit bigger than what it should be. Like, um, I don't know what it would be called. Whatever it is. No, it's not a gorder. It's just his neck was bigger. But he said to me, he said, I've been coming here in the glory and getting prayer. And he's just talking to me, and he said, check this out. And he pulls out his driver's license. And, it, and he's showing it to me. His neck had used to have been huge like this. And now it was just a little bit big. He said, I keep getting prayer and it keeps shrinking. <laughs> now I'm sitting there looking at his driver's license and I'm looking at him. Now I look at his driver's license like, man, that's cool, you know. And that he was showing it to the altar workers and they're like, yeah, man, let's pray again, you know. And they're going to believe God. Let's shrink it all the way down. Let's get all the way down. Yeah. But the point was, was that some, some healings are instantaneous. It's just, bam, you're healed. It's quick. Other things over time. So this guy kept coming, kept getting prayer, kept getting healthier. And I feel like the glory is going to be so thick here. People just being in it are going to keep getting more and more healthy. It may be one night they're totally healed of something, but it may be that's progressive over a month that they're healed of something. So just believe God for health. All right, I want to close out and um, let me, let's take some time, maybe pray for some people and then, then we're going to have uh, a feast. Is that all right? We have food, pig out. Yeah, some brisket. Well, man, if nobody's excited about it, I'll just eat all the brisket and go home. 